Well, we're reading the Bible together. Some of you have joined with us in that. And um, if you have not yet begun, uh, Sunday is a catch-up day. And I'm, I confess I'm going to use uh, the catch-up day today. Um, I have a little bit in John to, to catch up uh, on today. I uh, just got kind of busy uh, this week with family in town, and just things come up. So uh, if you haven't started, you've got a catch-up day to catch up. You just read a, a week's worth of uh, the Bible, and uh, we'll, you can join us in that. So if you have questions about that, want to do that, we've got a, like a Bible app that kind of helps us to do that. Um, so uh, I can help you to get signed up and get you started. So just talk to me afterwards. I'm putting 15 minutes on my little timer here. So this could be one of the shortest sermons ever here at CBC. Actually, it's a different, it's a different Sunday. Uh, we're taking a break from Galatians. Next week, I'll jump back into Galatians, and we'll, we'll learn more about what Paul is, is, is describing as, as, as now uh, available to us as children of God. And I'm excited about that, but I'm, I'm also really excited about today. Like I said, this is kind of a different kind of Sunday. It's kind of a vision casting Sunday. It's a Sunday where we uh, kind of set forth as elders, as your leaders, what are we going to do this next year? How, how do we have a plan uh, for this next year? And what are we going to do? And what, if God allows us to, might we accomplish in 2024. So that's what this Sunday is about. So I'm going to I'm going to kind of give us a little bit of a biblical kind of basis foundation for where we're going to go today as we roll out this um, this strategic plan, right? And uh, Josh is going to come after 15 minutes and he's going to join with me up here on the stage. What we've done in your bulletin is we've provided you uh, some space on the backside to, uh, to take some notes. You'll see phase one, phase two, phase three, and we'll kind of step through what it's going to look like practically, what, what things you are going to join us in doing in the next year, all right? So we're going to have a plan. We're looking uh, this morning at Matthew 28. Now, I, I'm kind of surprised by the statistic that Josh read us, that 25% of the church doesn't know the Great Commission. For me, I think that's probably, maybe in the Seattle area, I would agree with that. But here in the Bible Belt, it kind of seems like uh, what Eleanor told me this morning. I told her, I said, hey, my grandson Bo is going to be here. And she said, I already know that. And I kind of feel like our response this morning as we read Matthew 28 is like, I already know that, right? Because we, we know this, we, we've heard Jesus say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, right? We've, we've heard, we've been in churches, and, and certainly this, is, this, this kind of great commission kind of idea kind of comes and goes and in phases or in kind of faddish kind of things. We hear it in a church. Certain churches will hear, you'll hear they'll say, we're a great commission church. It's like, okay. Or we're, or we're on mission, right? And certainly there, it, I think kind of in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, there was a kind of a whole kind of push for that. You know, they had big missions conferences that people would get to. They would have these training seminars that you could go to to learn about the 1040 window and things like that. Um, there were all kinds of books that were pushed, put out about being missional, right? <clears throat> but it kind, of, it kind of got big 
And then it just kind of faded away. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like our politicians today, right? They talk about the deficit, right? And addressing the deficit. And yet the deficit keeps going up and up, right? Everybody comes forward with this plan and they go, man, here's, here's my plan to address the deficit. And, and sometimes we, we vote them into office and then they get distracted with a bunch of other things, you know, and the deficit just continues to rise. And I kind of feel like that's the same thing that happens with the Great Commission, right? You have church leaders who get up in a pulpit and they say, hey, Great Commission, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the plan for the church. And yeah, 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 yeah. And then we look back and we go, oh, didn't we? It seemed like a year ago we talked about this. What have we done about that? Well, nothing really. Well, maybe we've got a mission board. Maybe we, you know, we talk about missions, we give to missions and things like that. But what are we actually doing to further the Great Commission? Um, you know, maybe we'll have an evangelism training class, right? Maybe that's the kind of thing. And this morning, I'm excited uh, to kind of give a, a plan for us so that we at CBC will know when it comes to the Great Commission, what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? So when somebody at your, you know, a friend who doesn't go here maybe, and you're talking about your church, and you say, yeah, we started this new church plant, you know, and, and we're, we're on mission. We're, we're wanting to accomplish something here for the kingdom. And they're like, oh, really? Okay, yeah. So what are you doing? You sending people overseas? You got sending people to, on mission trips? And so, no, no, we, we're doing something here. We have a plan. Oh, you have a plan, right? So in communicating this, this morning, what we desire as your leadership is that you would begin to hear this and you would be able to articulate it to the people around you, Okay. When we are able to do that, or when you're able to do that, we know that we have cast vision in a way that is effective, right? If it only is up here on stage with me and Josh talking about it, but you guys never get it, never able to understand it or articulate it, then it really hasn't been cast, right? Or it hasn't been received. Maybe it's been cast, but it hasn't been caught, right? And what we want to do here is we want to create a, a DNA. We want to create an environment where we understand what we're about and what we're called to do concerning the Great Commission, okay? So this morning, uh, <clears throat> the question for this morning is, how does Covenant Baptist Church faithfully obey the commission that God has communicated in Matthew 28? And not just as an institution, but we need to ask this question individually. How am I faithfully obeying my commission, right? So that we own that, so that we embrace that, so we know that this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to look quickly at three things from the Great Commission that, that are going to kind of influence, and you're going to hear that when we present this, this plan, that you're, you're going to see these three things in there, okay? Okay. Now, the first one that I want us to look at is, all authority has been given to me, okay? Now, as I th have thought about this, because I've preached through this passage before, as I've thought about this, I have to confess that I've kind of gone beyond what this statement implies. I've talked more about 
the authority that I think that this gives us. But really, that's not what's being communicated here. What's being communicated is that Jesus is saying, the authority that's been given is mine. It's mine to be able to call you, my kingdom followers, into something that you need to obey. Okay? So I don't want to get too beyond that. I mean, it's a really interesting discussion, and maybe we'll get to that. It's not my point today. You know, what kind of authority do believers have? And I hear people take this in really wild and crazy places, right? Like, you, need, you just need to claim your authority. And I'm like, ah, I don't... Mm. Yeah, here's what I do know, and especially from this passage, is that the one who calls us has authority. He has jurisdiction, right? And he has the ability to command us, right? And so we immediately need to respond to that. Now, does this mean that we get to go out and do whatever we think we should do? Is it just a carte blanche directive? And I would say, no, it's not. It's very specific. So how do we know what we're supposed to do? And I think that, that implied in this first statement are the bumpers, are the guardrails to keep us within this, this commission, within this command, within this directive. All authority has been given to me, okay? Well, that means we need to do what you say, okay? So how do we know how you want us specifically as a church and you individually, how you're to accomplish that. Because it may look different, a little bit different for different people. Josh and I have talked about this as, as far as churches and as if we plant another church, will they necessarily have the same directive that we do of planting more churches? No, we're not gonna hold them to that. They may have a different directive. God may have a different plan for that congregation to accomplish the Great Commission. They may be, I don't know, blessed with lots of people who are great counselors. And so they're accomplishing the Great Commission as, as, as having this great, wonderful counseling ministry. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Or maybe they're, they're actively involved in government in a way that we're not. And we go, oh, well, that's really cool. They are accomplishing the Great Commission as God has given them, has purposed them to do that, okay? So how do we know? How do we know how we are supposed to uh, accomplish this mission and what our, our specific mission is? And I think that it simply comes down to we have to be in prayer. We have to be in con constant contact. We have to be communicating with the one who's commissioning us. For me, all authority has been given to me is this invitation, this action point of, pray. It's like, keep your eyes on the one who's commanding you. I think Paul tells, uh, tells Timothy that, you know, in his uh, epistle to, to Timothy. I think it's 2 Timothy. He says, you know, uh, you know as a soldier, well, you, you don't get involved in civilian affairs. You don't get distracted. You keep your eyes on your commander. And I, I, that's the first thing I want us to look at here is that this all authority has been given to me, and I think that should call us to prayer. The second thing is go. This, this is not a command, it's a participle. It means going or as you are going. And it, it implies that we are not to stay together, but we are to spread out, right? 
In fact, the, the, the Greek word here is poreomai, which means to make transport from one port to another, implying a considerable distance. We see this in Acts, right? As Jesus gives the, the great commission to his apostles, he says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, go. And they kind of stay in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And God has to be the one that spreads them out, right? I think it's Acts chapter 8 where we see Stephen get stoned and then there's persecution comes among, among the church and the church is scattered throughout the region, right? God has to do that. I don't want God to have to do that for us. I'd rather us just be obedient, okay? So this, imp, this implied going out, this spreading out, this taking territory, and at Covenant Baptist Church, we accomplish this through our hospitality as a church, okay? Hospitality, being hospitable as a church and as families. And hospitality starts with an invitation. It always starts with an invitation. It says, come join us. Come be a part of what we're doing here, right? As we go out, as we're in different places, not as we're here on Sunday morning in one place, but as we go out, you're commissioned that you will be in contact with other people, okay? And I want to encourage you that we have said, hey, man, that our hospitality is what is sending us out. Um, it's, it's interesting to me how powerful this is. Um, and I, I, until I experienced it, I didn't really get it. But as my kids were growing up, and all my kids are here, this morning, and, and they can tell you, uh, some of their friends would begin to come over to our house and hang out, and somehow they would end up hanging out during dinner time, and they, they seemed to come back time after time around dinner time, and they enjoyed that, and I, I just made this, this assumption that it's, there's nothing really that special about our dinner time, and yet I was really wrong, because they didn't experience what we experienced as a family. And I think there was something within them that longed for that, right? And it was influential to them. And I'm just like, man, that was so easy. It was such low-hanging fruit. And it just, it was just opening up our family and allowing our family to bless other people. The, the third thing that I want us to look at, and I'm running out of time here this morning because I said 15 minutes. The third thing is that we are to disciple the nations, okay? Uh, this is... Uh, the com what we're commanded to do in our commissioning. We're to disciple and we're also to be disciples. And I would say if I have to simplify the Great Commission down to what is the command word, it is disciple. This is the plan that defines the church. It's what we're supposed to be doing, right? And here's the question that you should be asking. If this is the plan for the church, you should ask yourself this question. Is my church actively discipling me? Is my church actively discipling me? And I'm not talking about being a part of a D group in high school and somehow we believe that now we can check that box. I've done that. I've been discipled. Because it doesn't give an end date to this. It is an ongoing activity for the church, that we are to be discipled. I say this all the time. Who in the church or who around you has, the, has their finger on the, the spiritual pulse of your life? Who knows what's going on in your heart and in your head? Because that's really easy to hide, 
It's really easy to hide. It's really easy to circumvent this process and, not, and for it not to happen. And we get really good at doing that in our culture. So as we talk about creating a, a, a culture of discipleship here, it's really hard work because everything in our culture fights against that. It says, no, I don't need to do that. I can do that myself. I can do that on my own. And what we need to see here is that this says that we do it together, that we grow together, right? I'm really excited for this next year simply because as, as your pastor, I get to walk with you in a journey over the next year. And for some of you, you're going to grow in leaps and bounds spiritually, and I'm excited to see that. For some of you, you're going to struggle hard for some of you, there are going to be circumstances in your life that you are just, and it's just going to be, it's going to take the breath out of you. And yet, through that, together in community, we're going to walk with one another, and we're going to make it through to the other side, and God is going to be faithful to us. He always is in that process. So, I, my challenge for you is... If discipleship truly is the plan that defines the church, if that's what this great commission is calling us to, how are you actively participating uh, in discipleship in this church? And that, that could mean that you come to Josh and I and say, hey, how do I do that? How do I set time aside in my schedule? Will you meet with me so that, so that I can grow? Because discipleship, if we define it, is simply, simply, it's an intentional relationship that has as, as its target, as its focus, spiritual growth. And trusting God that he's going to be faithful to work in that relationship. But it doesn't happen unless you begin to regularly invest in it, okay? Now, so that's... Uh, that's the end of my, well, I'll tell you one, one story to, to wrap up, okay? I'm a little bit over, but it's okay. So um, my guitar here is a beautiful guitar that someone gave to me. Um, he saw my old rackety black guitar, and he said, man, we, we need to get you a new guitar. And I was like, I can't afford one. He's like, I'm not asking you if you can afford one. We're going to go out and we're going to get you a new guitar. So I got this beautiful guitar. Um, it is really wonderful. I love it. It's the best guitar I've ever played. Um, somewhere along the line, it has, it has this expression system in it, and it's a little touchy. And so I heard it was giving me some problems, and I heard that there was a recall on the, the system. And so I called this guitar shop and talked to a master luthier, and I said, hey, can you replace this? Can you... Can you do the warranty on this guitar? And he said, yeah, go ahead and bring it in. So I brought it into this uh, guitar shop in the, the Hollywood dis district of Portland. And I walked in, brought my guitar, put it on the counter, and the guy opened it up, and he went, woo. And I, was, I got a little embarrassed because I was like, oh, he's kind of judging me because my guitar is kind of banged up a little bit. And he goes, woo. He goes, you know what? It's really good to see a guitar like this. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, well, I see these guitars all the time. He said, but rarely do I see one that's used. He said, there are a lot of rich people out here who buy this guitar, and they set it, you know, on a peg, and they never play it. He said, but you play this. And I said, yeah, I play it every week. I'm a worship pastor. And he goes, he goes it's really good to see, see this guitar being used. And I wonder 
I wonder if God would look at the church and he would be pleased at what he sees. Yeah, it may have some, some, some marks. It may have some, some blemishes, some scars on it. There's a crack that runs right down here. But I wonder if he would look at that and go, that's being used for what I designed it to do. And for me, as someone who builds these things, who fixes these things, that's good to see. And what I don't like to see is it just sitting on a shelf somewhere, never being used for what it was designed for. I believe that the Great Commission tells us how to use the church for God's kingdom and for his glory. And I want Covenant Baptist Church to bring him honor, not by sitting on a shelf and looking pretty, but being banged up and being used regularly for his glory. All right, Josh, why don't you come up here and we're going to present that. If you want to open up your bulletins to the back page, uh, we're going to start kind of moving through this. I'm going to give you this. Oh, no, you can use that one. And I'll just sit to the side. <laughs> okay, so if I'm going I'm to try to run through this really fast. And what we've done is on the back, we've given you three spaces to take some notes. This is, this is what you can be doing, what you can be praying about, what you can be praying for. I want to put some meat on the bones. I messed up and... Bart did the, uh, the first version of this document, and I didn't realize that he had a thing going with the titles and that phase one was prayer, and I didn't see that somehow in there, and I changed it to fundamentals, so it's going to be mostly prayer. Because then, it's alliterated. That's right. It is. It's, it's and, prayer, preparation, planting. And we're good Baptists, so we should have everything. FPP doesn't work the same way. I will say this, though, in, in kind of setting you up for fundamentals, I remember as about a four-year-old boy loving basketball, loving it. And I had an uncle named Jeff, and he, he loved to play basketball, and he was very good at it. And, and I said, Jeff, I want to play basketball, Uncle Jeff. And he said, here's what you do. And he gave me a basketball, and he said, I want you to hold that in your hand like this, and I want you to do that with it against the wall 1,500 times a day. <laughs> So I get through about 75 one day, and I'm like, man, this is really boring. And I said, I want to shoot. And he said, no, if you want me to teach you how to do this, you throw the ball against the wall like that 1,500 times a day. Now, those of you who've seen me play basketball in my older age, you won't appreciate that before I got out of practice, I was a really good shooter. And the reason why was because of the muscle memory and I look at that as being fundamentals. And I think that largely, largely in the church, I think that we've lost sight of the fundamentals because what we've tried to do is we've tried to come get a spiritual experience and then try to grow the church very vertically, okay? And the idea is if we build huge encampments and we invite people and say, hey, look at the size of our barracks here. Have you seen, have you seen our military encampment? It is a sight to behold. And then when you sit inside the military encampment, I mean, you might get really good at shooting on the firing range or something, but you never know what's going to happen when you get out in the heat of battle because shooting on a firing range is nothing like somebody actively trying to kill you. And I, I, think, I think that's where we sin. So when we, look at, when we look at phase one, what are we doing as a church? And I hope, to be, I hope to be standing up here a year from today talking about, hey, this is still going on, and there's been some other stuff that's happened too, but as Bart and I talked about this, phase one is something that I hope that we're doing 15, 20 years from now, that we're always in phase always one. 
we're always in the fundamentals because the fundamentals come down to strategy, prayer, and discipleship. So let's talk about strategy. First is, in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is when we can make it nice, I'm putting top designers on the, on the mission here, we're going to hang a substantial map of the kind of four-county area, and we're going to have everybody that's a regular here to come in and pin their spot on the map. And what we're going to start doing is start looking at, hey, where are people? Where's the potential for people to branch out in core group? And we're going to start praying for those specific areas, okay? So if we have a, a bundle of people that live in Rogers, we're going to start praying for something in Rogers. Look, we don't know that that's what's going to happen, but it helps us to be strategic and also to know where each other are, where we're coming from. So that's our, that's our big strategic thing in the fundamentals but then I want, to give you, I want to give you three areas to pray specifically for, okay? So rolling fast. Number one, we need to all be praying for elders and leaders. That is, it does mean praying for Bart and I, and, and we want that, but it also means praying that there would be more elders and leaders. This is a difficult thing where it sounds like talking out of both sides of my mouth. I do not think the highest aim of a Christian is to be an elder, Despite what you might see, despite how you might hear pastors talk, we do not have tiers of Christians. I am not a super Christian. <laughs> I'm not, I am not an intercessor for you, okay? The Lord is not delivering, delivering things to me on tablets. It's in the word. So here's the thing. I need your prayers, and Bart needs your prayers, but we also need to pray that there would be more elders that come to us to be trained because none of this happens without that. So pray for elders, and I'll throw, I'm going to throw four first names at you. If you know, you know. If not, big deal. Here's some names for you. I want you to pray for Scott, for Sean, for Jeff, and then in the interest of old school, for unspoken. Nice. <laughs> Scott, Jeff, Sean, unspoken. We need to also pray for resources. That can mean money, but it also means facilities. It means friendships. It means partnerships. It means the things that get this thing going, legal help, all that kind of stuff. So resources. We're praying for elders. We're praying for resources. And we're also praying for partnerships. That would be for other existing churches. There are some leads there that we're working on. But I want you to pray that there would be partnerships with other churches that we would join together with churches that preach the gospel to be able to plant other churches. Internally, what I need from you, I got a few commits here, okay? Here's a few commits. I need you to commit to displaying hospitality in your home so much as it depends on you, as much as you can. Invite people into your home, invite people from within the church, invite people from outside of the church, and invite people to church, because inviting people to church is showing hospitality. There are means of grace in this place, and there's means of grace in other gospel-preaching churches. So we want to commit to hospitality. We want to commit to grow in discipleship. Commit to grow in discipleship. That means both discipling and being discipled. So find someone who in an area is maybe a little further down the trail or has some experience and get with them. And find someone who's a little bit behind the trail and get with them. And let me encourage you on this. Discipleship is a low or a slow, inefficient, dirty process. 
for Chad back there, it's a lot like teaching. It's, it's a lot like the, the fruit, it, it go, you go in there and it seems every day like nothing's happening. And then you look 10 years later and you see that something's happened. And so I would, I would encourage you to be patient and to find someone to disciple and to find someone to sit at coffee with, or if you're a night person, you know, have them over for tea and strumpets and, <laughs> and talk, about the, talk about scripture, talk about parenting, talk about how to educate your kids, talk about what you've learned. That's a good thing for us to do, and that's how we make disciples. The, the last thing that I want to say here is that I want us to, I want us to commit to evangelizing. And when I say evangelizing, I don't mean what Bart was describing as the, the 80s, 90s kind of idea. We're, we're not trying to make converts. We're trying to make disciples. But we're also not trying to just relocate church members to this church or to church-planted churches. The kingdom doesn't grow by reallocation, okay? The kingdom grows by making disciples. So when we, when we have people that are converted, we need to disciple them. It's not a one-off. It's where we get people connected into a church, and we invest in their lives. And that is the fundamentals. So to repeat, pray for elders, pray for resources, pray for partnerships, commit to hospitality, commit to becoming a better disciple and to discipling others, and commit to evangelize. Did I miss anything there? Looks good. Sounds right. good. I'm going to let Bart take over uh, phase, phase two. two. Which is, is a, a P. Is the preparation phase. I, I can just stand here. You yeah, can no work. So um, in this phase, and, and here's the great question. When are we in phase two? Okay. Well, we're in phase one until it's obvious to everybody we're in phase two. All right. So continue to do the fundamentals. All right. And so that, that means that prayer continues. Even when we're in, pray, in phase two, that we're seeking discernment, we're seeking wisdom, and, and we are waiting on the Lord to proceed, okay? I, I'm, I'm reading just like you're reading through, uh, through the Bible and read through Abraham's story, and it's like, dude is proceeding in front of the Lord, right? God's saying, I'm gonna, I've made this promise, I'm going to keep it, you know? And Abraham just can't wait. <laughs> we're going to wait. We're going to wait. A good example of that is this this place that we're meeting right now. As we look for another location somewhere, we want God has provided for us in an amazing way here, in a way that is clearly him, right? That we, there's no way. I mean, planning a church, the first thing is like, how will we afford to rent up space? How will we, where will that be? Will we meet in a school? Will we meet in somebody's home? That's a huge question, Right? And as we move forward, we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to wait. We're going to ask him for provision, right? And we're going to see that. That may be you you locating yourself on the map and saying, hey, I'm going to start looking around in my community and seeking the Lord and, and maybe asking some questions and seeing what he provides, okay? So prayer continues. Then we're going to identify clusters of people geographically and encourage the vision of planning a church in that area, okay? So as you're able to see it, right, you may be asking other people, is this your pin? Wait, this, I know this is your pin, and who's this person right here? Well, we need to find that other person because geographically we are in a, in a cluster area, right? So once we do that, we're going to start praying and seeking elders with a burden to plant in that clustered area, and then we're going to, that, that group of people is going to start to meet together. Now, I wrote a blog on my blog 
about why we don't have community groups in our church, right? And the idea is that we want to be interconnected. We want to do as many, we're a small church, so we should just be together, right? So, um, but we, that doesn't mean we're never going to have community groups or CG groups. They're just going to be core groups that start to meet together, right? And, and this is where I think that most, the, the whole community group model loses, right? Because it begins to replicate and move out into areas, but it has an endpoint, which is the community group. The endpoint should be a new church, right? So as we start identifying people in an area, we're going to start recruiting those people to start meeting together in a core group, all right? Um, and then part of the preparation in this is that we are going to start allocating resources. We're going to start putting money aside. You're going to see that in the budget later today. Um, we're going to present this plan to other partner churches so that they can help us as well. And then, um, and then we're going to identify uh, leadership for that group so that that core group that is meeting together has, has a leader. Okay. Now, they're still going to be participating with us at this point. They're just going to be kind of meeting separately to make plans for planting a new church somewhere else. Okay, does that make sense? Phase two, preparation. Starts to identify, starts to prepare some real assets for, for doing that. I would say I know, I know it seems fast, but I, Bart and I are praying diligently that, that we're in phase two at some point this year and that, that there's somebody that's targeted and I think also you're going to start to see other men preaching in the pulpit at that point. That's one of those things that becomes obvious is that there's, a, there's an elder in wait there and that he's getting some training and he's getting some practice to, to preach, that he's, he's learning how to, to do the business. And that leads us to the phase three. And then the whole thing just starts looping. Look, one day we would love to have multiple phase twos and threes going on because that's where church partnerships comes into play, right? The church partnership idea is that if we're trying to do this with one body that's really capped out at, you know, probably 100 people in here, if we're crammed in here like that and we're trying to plant a bunch, we're, we're an army of one small church that's not able to provide a lot of those resources. But with those church partnerships, we can. So phase three becomes planting. That's where this core group is going to separate from what we internally call the mothership, you're looking at it right here, the, the skunk mothership, and, and which hopefully this year that won't be the case either. I need to put some more top people on that one. Um, as we look at planting, though, this group has spent some time together. They've started to make inroads in their community, and it's time for them to get a facility. And where CBC comes in is that we continue to support them financially and spiritually. Financially means that we keep contributing like Crossway is doing right now. We, we have a church that's continued to help us, that's financially helping us in a major way that made this church plant happen. We hope to do the same thing when, when this new church plants. And spiritually is in, we pray for them by name often, that we have, we have staff help where we can go and support them when they need a break in the pulpit. One of the elders here can go and help them out by preaching a Sunday or by taking a month or something like that. We want to really pool and partner both financial resources but also human resources. And in order to soften some of the blow, like I know I've heard it with 
internal conversations with you guys is that it's a hard thing. We're a small church, and we do everything together, so there are going to be pretty deep connections here, and that is a good thing. That's something that we want. That does make it difficult, though, when people go and they plant, and we know they're going to do it because they're in this core group, and when they leave, that can be an opportunity for people to feel sad. I want you to resist this because there's a couple of principles going on here. Number one, church isn't everything. You get this? You can have friends that you don't go to church with. It's okay, all right? We want to maintain those social connections. And that gets into step two, which is the idea of church partnership, is that when people go and they plant another church, we're not going to just go, well, that's a nice church. We'll send them 2000 a month and hope they do well. No, that's not the way it's going to go. We're going to work actively together with that church. We're going to have events together. Bart and I, as we talked about this back in December, he, he asked me, like, what, what do you, how would you put a story to this? What would be your dream? And I said, my dream would be that we would have a chili cook-off where there's 600 people there, so we have to rent you know, a, a city facility or pavilion somewhere, and it's all these churches. And that we all sing psalms together, and the community is going, what is that roar that I hear? And it's going to be you know, eight or ten churches that are together who have been in partnership or singing praises and psalms to the Lord and are together. That's my dream. And I saw, I think tastes of it is I think at the chili cook-off I think we had five or six different churches that were represented here with our friends and that's something that we look at as being a glorious thing Bart's Bart's dream was very similar and kind of in a different way he said that he dreamed of having a meeting where there were 30 or 40 elders in that room that represented all of these churches and that we were strategizing together and imagine even if we're in this place where we leverage the extreme low cost of 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 Covenant Baptist Church continuing on, the power of having multiple churches that are in network, that was kind of the idea, the shining light on the hill of the Southern Baptist Convention was that all of these small country churches could accomplish a lot more together, where I think we missed the bill and we went into a little bit of rot, is we don't get to do the Great Commission just by writing people checks. And I, I think the idea here is that we want to, we want to work in unity as members of different local expressions where we are connected together. So the vision is this, right, is that there would be a network of churches, some of which that we're in partnership, some of which that, that we help to plant, that have the DNA that comes from here. I think many of those are going to have the burning desire to plant. I can tell you this for Bart and myself, as we talk to other people in ministry, this vision is contagious. I think Christians are tired of just trying to get strobe light shows and get as big as possible. I think Christians are tired of having no voice in the world. And the way that we get a voice is by loving one another. That's what Jesus said. The world is going to know us by our love for one another. And where are they going to see that if it's not with connected bodies of local believers? And that's what we really believe in. And so these church plants are going to grow stronger, even as CBC grows stronger, and understanding that the, the through line for all of this for every step, is that we understand not with lip service, but with firm belief that if the Lord doesn't build the house, then its builders strive in vain. There is no way that I or Bart have the expertise to sit up here and tell you, I don't have a doctorate in church planning. I just, we just planted a church. 
And everything that happened here in miraculous ways is because of what the Lord's done in his favor on this. And so we know that if, if this is the vision of CBC and this is what God has for us, that it's going to be him that does the work. And that means that all of his people turn to him and they praise his name and they say, glory be to God for the work that he's doing. Um, yeah, I think uh, I've already talked about this as far as just that, that uh, as we kind of plant more churches, that there's more support for, for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that through different churches with different distinctives in them, that's going to make us a better church. Like We may not be the best at, I don't know, uh, you know I gave counseling as an as a example. We may not be that. God may not give us that that purpose, but we're, we will be connected to another church that maybe they have that gift, and that will just make us stronger as, as a church. It will give us more resources. So that's kind of our, our thought, is that, is that uh, one church is, is a blessing. It definitely is. This church is a blessing. But what if God, in his benevolence, would give us more churches uh, and more people that would expand his kingdom here? I think that we're, we want to believe in him for that, okay, and see what he does. Um, I, just sitting down with Josh and, and drawing on pieces of paper at Chick-fil-A early in the morning, uh, I wish you guys could be there and, and just to see uh, the, our interaction, because for me, I, I kind of stepped back from that. I did that this last time, and I was just like, how is this happening? <laughs> how is this happening? And I say that because I want you to know that, that Josh and I, in a weird way, are very much on the same page with this. I mean, it's, it's a very exciting process for us to talk about this stuff, right? And, and we're just giving you kind of a skeleton here this morning. I mean, there's more flesh on these, on these bones. And, and we want to we have those discussions with you. But just if, I, if you were able to look in the window at Chick-fil-A... I mean, there were sparks that were flying. I'm, I'm just saying, and I was grateful for that. I was, uh, before coming here, um, the, the people who sent me were, and the church that sent me was, they were envisioning me being the, the lead, the senior pastor, the lead guy. And so when Josh came into the picture, they were kind of like, whoa, whoa. We've seen that kind of arrangement and, our experience is that doesn't work, right? And I've, and I've seen it, and I've seen it not work. And here's what I want, want to express to you is that working with Josh, I don't feel this sense of competition with Josh. I, I don't feel an ego from Josh, and certainly I, I hope that my ego stays in check, that it's not about being the pastor of this church, what it is about, what it is about is, is this mission and this vision that he's given us. Man, I want to see that happen. So that, that may mean, that may mean at some point that I am at a different location for a time, that I boomerang back here to the mothership, and then I boomerang out. And you know what, for me, Man, that would, that would be enough. That would be, I would be thrilled to death. I've seen it. 
I've seen churches that are, are, are committed to the directive, to the Great Commission, and they are accomplishing it, and it just blows your mind. And I go, God, could you do that here? Mm-hmm. Man, that's what I want to be a part of, okay? So, you know, I don't need a title. I just want to be a part of the game. And uh, I hope that you're like that as well. Like, like Josh is saying, we're talking to other people, and they're expressing that. They're going, really? Really? Okay. You think that that can actually happen? All right. Tell me more. Tell me more. All right. So that's, that's phase one, phase two, phase three. Like I said, I think it'll be apparent when we're in that phase. Um, but man, prayer is something that continues all the way through this discernment and wisdom, not waiting on the Lord before we proceed. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get, we don't want to make a lot of mistakes. And I think the thing that, that, that guards us is that all authority has been given to me. So as long as we are keeping our eyes on the one who has authority to command us to do the things that we're going to do, that he wants us to do, <laughs> I think we'll be good. Doesn't mean that we won't, you know, get it wrong sometimes because we do. But we want to be humble. We want the Lord to correct us if necessary. Uh, but we definitely want to be on mission, and we want to be, uh, be faithful and obedient to what he's called us to do.